is the Sideline Insights with Rola. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Insights. And as usual, I am your long life, your lifetime amazing host, Rola. I mean, it's been an amazing week so far. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone that has been reposting and sharing my podcast. You all have been amazing. Also saw your comments and feedbacks on my last episode. I must say, I am actually overwhelmed by the love and support. Also, if you are a first-time listener on this podcast, please, you can still go back to listen to my debut episode and my last episode where I did the Premier League mid-season review and also spoke about the struggles of being a football fan girl. So guys, before I go into what we have for today, which is quite different per usual, let me just say the ongoing African Cup of Nations has been amazing. I can't remember the last time I was actually looking forward to tournament football and very, very excited about it. But this AFCON has been super, super, super wonderful, man. I was just sleepy. I was saying, thank God, though, my own country is put to the <laughs> round of 16. No calculator this time, guys. We're not, cal- we're not calculating anything. Nobody shouting, if Kiniko goes through, if this country goes through. What's my own? But, you know, a certain country with 24-7 lights can use their light to see their way out of the tournament. Good luck to them. <laughs> but honestly, this, this tournament has been very, very amazing. I'm just like super excited about Africa, the future of African football and what's come to us. But, you know, it cannot still beat the World Cup because my goat won the last World Cup. So that last World Cup was still the best, 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 best football tournament I have ever watched. But this AFCON, we are getting there, we are getting there. So today I have two wonderful football fan boys with me. And guys, these guys, they actually know ball. And today, they are not Chelsea fans. Before you put them and say, ah, ah, Rola likes to be partial every time. Trust me, they are not Chelsea fans. The first one is Uzo. He is a Tottenham fan. Guys, there are Tottenham fans. They exist. Yes, they do. I call him my twin because I'm always dragging him. I mean, why, why is it wasn't a club that don't have... A Champions League trophy. I mean, your trophy cabinets must be so dusty. But anyways, we'll allow him. And yes, you're very passionate. You're very passionate to your fan. So Uzo, how are you? I'm fine. That was an amazing introduction. Um, I'm honored and I'm excited to be on Sideline Insights with Rola. And as much as you have introduced me with Banta, I'm going to pay the respect to the so-called pride of London, even though right now you guys are down in the dumps. I'll give respect to our our London representatives, but I'll just tell you guys, Big Ange is coming. We'll see, we'll see. So the second guest with me here is Ovo, a Liverpool fan. Guys, the last time I was in a space like this with Ovo, he was the host and I was the guest. But... Our story don't change, yo. Now it is, it is now. I don't know how to maybe is it vice versa or whatever I want to call it. But now I am the host and is the guest, and he has his own football podcast, footy stand podcast. Guys, please go and listen to 
his podcast. He's a very, very, very good host. And he taught me everything I needed to know about podcasts. So, Ovo, how are you? Yeah, man. Thank you for the intro. It's lovely to be here for the first time. I'm actually a guest. I'll be answering questions. So, it's nice. Thank you. Thank you guys for honoring my invitation. We are doing something very interesting today. So, guys, I asked my Twitter followers to drop their football hot takes. Hmm. <laughs> I saw a lot of interesting takes and I am going to be reacting to it with Ovo and Uzo today. But before we start reading them, I am going to drop my own football hot take and I, I will allow my guests to tell me if it is a shit take or not. I think mine is quite popular. Not popular, but I've been dragged for it already on Twitter. My own football hot take is that I prefer Ivan Tony to Victor Osimen. I mean, Osimen is a world-class striker, agreed. But remember, Lukaku was also a world-class striker before Chelsea signed him. And to be honest, I am scared that if my club should sign this guy, hmm, it's what I've seen in this AFCON so far. So Uzo, I want you to tell me if that's a good take or not and just shed more light on it. And what do you think about it? I think it's, I think it's a decent take. Um, I've already been dragged on Twitter for my Osimhen takes anyways because I don't think that he's actually as good as we all hype him up to be. Um, even in the context of great Nigerian strikers, I wouldn't put Osimhen as, in my opinion, one of the five greatest strikers in Nigerian history so far. But I think that the pedigree that he has, right, has surpassed a lot of some of our greats that were underrated in the past. I look at the way that the team plays and I look at the quality of the chances that get created. And I don't think that Osimhen comes into the team, especially into a new league and immediately lights it on fire, especially to justify the kind of transfer fee that it would take. It would just bring added pressure. And we've seen the way that he handles pressure. He's someone that kind of likes to throw his hands up a lot and deflect blame and complain. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because as a striker, he wants to score goals. He wants to get his name on the score sheet. But he can easily become frustrated, especially with such a young team. And the team can start to play for him because they are maybe nervous and they want to try to put him in the right situations. And I think it will just create an imbalance, right? Whereas someone like Ivan Tony is already familiar with the league. It will be a relatively lower fee. And also, he'll be coming with a point to prove to kind of justify um, the reason why, despite the allegations, despite the suspension, he's still someone to be reckoned with. So I think what Chelsea need right now is a bunch of people that are hungry to prove something. And they don't have that ego. They have low pressure. And they'll be able to deliver as soon as they come into the team. Also, Ivan Tony will be able to bring his teammates in. He has that kind of drug bar, um, target man, bringing other people into the play kind of play style, whereas I feel like Osimhen is still very raw in terms of his back-to-the-goal game. He's more of a box striker. So I think stylistically, and even from a mental aspect, the Tony signing will be more favorable for Chelsea. So I actually think your take is solid, and I know that people will drag you for it because of, obviously Osimhen is the sexy name right now, but you know, that happens. And that actually fits into my own hot take. I don't think a prolific striker is necessarily the reason why teams cannot be successful in goal scoring. And I think if we look back at some of the most iconic teams of our generation, they never had any prolific goal scorers. Like you look at that Barcelona team, you look at the Real Madrid team with um, BBC, and you don't really see any number nine that stands out as, oh, this guy was, was doing 
50, 60 goals. In fact, Haaland is the only striker in recent memory that I can think of that got a lot of goals and the team actually got successful from it. So, good take, Rola. Um, thank you so much, Uzo. Ovo, did you, do you have any objection to Uzo's take? Um, the thing is, me personally, I've also been dragged by Osman fans. Nigerians don't play with Osman, man, I won't lie. But um, to be honest, I disagree that Osman is a world-class striker. I feel like he still needs to, you know, add some stuff to his resume. And at the same time, um, I don't think he's as good as, you know, other people say. But I still think we need to just give him time. But the only thing I would say is um, the legendary uh, Giorgino Cellini, he said that West Ham is better than the best team in Syria. And we speak to the level of um, the teams in Syria. So maybe, you know, last season, he was, you know, he did his thing. But will he translate to the Premier League? I don't think so. Because what I've seen so far from the um, from the games in the AFCON, he doesn't look no better than, let's say, Darwin Nunes, that people really don't rate like that. So yeah, man, I don't think it's a bad take. I actually agree with you. Well, you just compared Osimhen to Darwin Nunes. They are, they are going to drag, they are going to drag us, but that's why it's a take. Like we don't care. So I have this one from Joel Dabos, if I that underscore Joel. He said Salah has a better EPL legacy than Cristiano Ronaldo. Hmm. Who's the one to take this? Um, I don't know if I want to take it because I kind of agree with him because I think longevity always matters more than your peak. And this is the same argument that um, me and my friend Adams always argue on the pod with Salah and Hazard. I just think that when it comes to longevity and how long Salah has been doing it in this league and the level to which he's been doing it, I just think that you have to reward people for staying in the league in their prime. And you can't just reward somebody for hitting a, a crazy prime and then leaving. Obviously, Ronaldo's legacy compared to Salah in football is not even comparable. But as far as what they've done in EPL, granted, Ronaldo was the last um, Premier League player to win the Ballon d'Or. And that's a crazy, crazy peak that nobody can touch. But when you compare in terms of longevity, all of the records that he holds, and the fact that Salah is still going even at this age at, in the Premier League, I don't think it's that crazy to take, you know. I, I think Salah is one of the best wingers that we've seen in the league. So, you know, we have to respect him as such. I know Ovo is very, very interested in this because he calls Salah the best player in the world every time. So, Ovo, the floor is yours. Yeah, man. Um, Uzo, that's an amazing take. Like, bro, Salah is so disrespected. Um, we can just look at the raw statistics. Salah has more goals. Salah has more assists. Salah has played less games. He has scored more hat-tricks. He has created more chances. He has won everything Ronaldo has won. Ronaldo's best season, the season where he won the Ballon d'Or in Premier League, he scored 42 goals. Salah scored 44 in his best season in Liverpool and also had more assists. So he has won the Puskas Award. I don't think he really deserved it. But basically, Salah has done everything. All the big clubs there, look at Salah's record against them. Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, and compared to Ronaldo's records versus those teams, Salah is better. So I don't know what people want to tell me about Salah. I think the only issue is that maybe he hasn't won um, more Premier League titles, and which is just because Man City are just amazing. But the team has gotten like amazing point totals that even the great Manchester United team has never gotten. So in my opinion, Salah is an all-time Premier League great and his legacy is by far better than Ronaldo's legacy in the Prem because he has one more golden boots. He's, his least goals is 19, which will be Ronaldo's second highest in the Premier League. So yeah, man, Salah, Salah is just incredible, man. And 
yeah, right now, currently, he's the best player in the world, in my humble opinion. So, yeah. Thank you so much for that. I mean, me too, I raised Salah, but as far as that fan girl, actually, raised Salah, I, I agree with you guys, to be honest. So, moving on, I have this one from Dependit28. He said, the World Cup and European or Continental Championships are overrated. Club football with its with its year-round drama and quality is more exciting to watch. Speaking about club club, uh, speaking about the World Cup right now, I know this take is triggered by the fact that Messi won the World Cup and the narratives that has been around that has been around the World Cup in Qatar 2022 that it was staged for Messi to win it. Over, do you want to take this? I do think club football is a better um, barometer to measure how good a player is because, you know, there are more games and obviously you can judge that consistency within those games because I've seen many players go to the World Cup and look like the greatest player ever. But when the season starts, they're not that good, like Ochoa in Mexico or, um, should I say, Asumajian, stuff like that. Let me give you another so, example. Um, Euro 2021. Um, there's a dumb freeze. <laughs> oh my god! Exactly. Yeah. So you think like these are like uh, very very good players, but we it's better to judge them based on club football because that way you can know their consistency and how good they actually are rather than a, a, a an international tournament. But I'll say this is that the prestige of international football is like more than the club football because you don't know how many people I've met where I ask them, yo, do you like football? I'm a big football fan. And they tell me, no, I don't watch football. I only watch football when it's the Euros, when it's the World Cup. That is to just show you how big it is. So it's more important to people. And I'm, and obviously, if it's more important to, let's say, normal people on the road, it's probably feel more important to the, to the players as well. They want to win for their country because I think that's most the dream for most footballers. So the prestige of, you know, International football is better, but in order to know how good a player is, you need to look at the consistency in club football. Thank you so much for that. So, Uzo, to you, speaking about the World Cup, people said the World Cup was staged for Messi to win it. Please, can you... Is that a shit take or a good take? I mean, it's obviously a childish take, in my opinion. And, I mean, this is born from all of these FCs and the Ronaldo-Messi debate, which has plagued... Um, the entire sport of football, honestly, since both guys hit their peak. And I just refer back to what Rio Ferdinand said. Like, sometimes we allow this obsession with being better than the next guy or proving that the side that you support or the person that you rep is just the best in the world, that we allow it to cloud the greatness that we are watching ahead of us. Like, I imagine, like, a football star was around back in the days of Ronaldo and Zidane or even just the next era of like Henri and um, I don't know, maybe Schneider, for example, there were so many great players. I just think that maybe the toxicity within football Twitter would have also diluted the greatness that we got to enjoy at those World Cups and all of those many tournaments that guys were performing. Like I think of so many high profile failures, even with the England Golden Generation or Ronaldinho and Brazil in 2006 or how many can we even think of, right? And it's just the toxicity from football that would have made all of those things so unbearable. But I'm glad that even now, right, as much as there's so much toxicity in terms of the way we discuss football, the people that make decisions, the way that people's legacies are defined, 
it's still it, it's still absent from all of the um kind of false narratives that go online because basically what you're implying by saying that the world cup was staged is that you know results are scripted or there's conspiracy in, in sports to provide a certain narrative etc and i think it's just born out of the fact that people can't accept the fact that Ronaldo at the top level has kind of declined and this is kind of the end of his legendary run and I think we can appreciate both guys like you can have your preference for who you think is the greatest of all time I personally describe them differently I think Messi is probably the best player that I've ever seen in my life but I think that Ronaldo's greatness in terms of his closeness and some of the crazy things that he has accomplished in his career is one of the greatest that I've ever seen so I'm able to appreciate both guys equally and I think more people should kind of watch football with that lens of just appreciating greatness instead of always trying to compare. Because when you start comparing, then you start coming up with all these horrible narratives of, um, oh, this this tournament was staged, or they said they created Nations League so that Ronaldo can win something, or they made um, Copa every year so that Messi can finally win it. Just random stupid things that obviously a governing body will not make decisions like that for a player whose career will last for six, seven years. Why would you make lasting decisions, right, for a tournament that's going to be around hundreds of years, even after the player is gone? So all of these things are fans that are desperately trying to hold on to the fact that their goat is maybe not performing at a certain level anymore. And even sometimes Ronaldo himself fits into that narrative, right, because of his recent comments denouncing um, FIFA World Best or things like that, just like questioning their integrity or the validity of their awards and stuff. And I just think, honestly, it's just, it's not good for the game. Because at the end of the day, you want the game to be reputable. If the game is not reputable, then all of your accomplishments mean nothing. So if he's trying to rubbish FIFA's legacy, or if people are trying to rubbish the legacy of the World Cup, all you're doing is invalidating the things that you yourself have accomplished in the past, which works, you know, in the opposite way that you're expecting it to work. So yeah, it's a rubbish take, in my opinion. I totally agree with you. Um, so speaking about Messi being the greatest ever player, man, Messi's my goal. Let me just put it out there. For everybody to know Messi is the best player I have ever seen in my entire life that I am watching football. So over to you now. There's this like narrative flying around that Messi is Messi is being pampered compared to Cristiano Ronaldo. Like Messi has always been pampered. But I think they are wrong. But what do you think? Yo man, I won't lie to you. I have seen the entirety of Messi's career. I'm sure everybody like my age group can still remember when Argentina beat Nigeria in the under 20 um, tournament um, I think in 2005 or 2004 and since then Messi has been like the golden child for you know FIFA Messi is the greatest player of all time like his technique his achievements his consistency everything but I also feel like for those awards there's some values to what Ronaldo said because sometimes I feel like the narrative is always different to fit Messi like why didn't, you know, Xavi or Iniesta win the Ballon d'Or in 2020? Why didn't, you know, um, why they, why is the narrative always changing in order to suit what Messi achieved that season to say, okay, that's why he should win the Ballon d'Or? Because there was a period that the Ballon d'Or was just about who the best player was. Michael Owen, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, they'll be playing in the Europa League, but they'll be winning the Ballon d'Or. That's, that's how it was. But then it got to, okay, who wins the Champions League? Then that's when you know Ronaldo started winning it. Real Madrid won the won the Champions League, and it was five five Ballon d'Ors, Messi and Ronaldo. I was wondering why didn't Ronaldo win the Ballon d'Or that year? 
because he had a very good season. He led his team to the Champions League and won it. You know, why didn't they give him the award? But they said it was Modric. And why did Modric win it? Because he had a good World Cup. I don't think Modric's World Cup was that amazing to say that, oh, he deserved the Ballon d'Or. But it is what it is. And then in 2019, when Liverpool then won the Champions League, and I think Brazil won the Copa America, whatever, Messi still won the Ballon d'Or. But when Argentina won the Copa America, the narrative was, oh, Messi won the Copa America, he should win the Ballon d'Or and also the World Cup. So I feel like the narrative is always changing in order to suit what Messi did. And Ronaldo has kind of like been the outcast. I think Messi is better than Ronaldo, but I just feel like Messi is like, um, his down moments are not spoken about the way Ronaldo's down moments are. Like losing, you know, 4-3 to Liverpool, the comeback against Roma, the trashing against Bayern Munich, all these kind of things. If Ronaldo had fallen short like that, I don't think it's be forgotten in football. So yeah, man, I just feel like Messi is great, but he has like he has been he has been treated differently to what how Ronaldo has been treated, in my opinion. But but let me let me um relax if I can just push back on that real quickly. Do you think this different treatment is do you think this different treatment is coming from um the way the the public perception of both players, or do you think it's coming from actual governing bodies, right? Because people can also like cherry pick and say Real Madrid have had some maybe questionable calls. Um, there's been some Champions League victories that Real Madrid have had that Ronaldo didn't necessarily contribute maybe in the final or in the final two games. And I'm not even like bringing that to question him or anything. I just think both players have had great moments. They've also both had down moments. And I think that the problem is because of this FC comparison, right? We as fans feel that one side gets the raw end of the deal, right? But do we think that this actually plays a part in the way governing bodies assess both players? Because I think they've both won quite a fair few amount of individual accolades and they've been rewarded for their careers respectively, in my opinion. Okay, can I rebuttal to that? There was actually a clip of Seb Blatter saying, oh, Messi is a good boy. He Like, literally saying this, Messi is a good boy. Raul Ronaldo is a commander. Like, he now did, like, um like a little dance of like a, a soldier or something. And then Ronaldo then scored a goal the next game and did that same dance as well. And that was crazy to me because this is someone that's supposed to be the president of FIFA. And he's saying that Messi is just like a better character than Ronaldo. And Messi is the greatest, but I feel like it has gone into the mind of some of these people where they have propped him up to be so high and they don't really give Ronaldo credit for what he has done. And there was also an interview of like um, a voter, a Ballon d'Or voter, because I think Ballon d'Or is voted by journalists here. A Ballon d'Or voter said in front of Ronaldo, like he told Ronaldo this, and they asked him, what does he think about that? And he said he doesn't care. And that's crazy to me, because why would that kind of narrative be given to some... Why would um, somebody that has so much power have that narrative in their head that Messi has a better character than Ronaldo? Don't you think that it will influence the person's voting and how um, they give out these awards? Of course, of course it will. But this is something that um, I'm a huge basketball fan as well as football, right? All awards are all narrative-based, all of them. Right? It's never just about the raw numbers. Like this year now, Lamar Jackson is going to win the NFL's MVP, even though he had one of the worst numbers as a quarterback. And the reason why is because this year they decided to make the criteria eye test when in the past they've awarded the award based on wins and losses and like actual numbers. And the same thing with basketball, right? Embiid won the award last year and people felt that Joker deserved it. But because Joker had won back to back and they didn't want to give him three in a row, 
because three in a row is reserved for like the greatest of the greats and nobody has ever done it. They decided to give the award to Embiid, even though Joker's numbers were probably better, at least comparable. So we know like awards always have narratives. So I don't know why we're I kind of framing it in a way where like it's done to slight one person because the same way a narrative can work for you, it can work against you the next time that guys are voting. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I yeah, feel like it then changes to what Messi Messi achieved to fit his narrative. So I don't know. But that's, that, that's just my that's my hot take, I guess. But I see what that person is saying. If we continue this Messi and Ronaldo discourse, guys, we'll be used to hours on this podcast. <laughs> it will not finish. So I'll just leave the Messi versus Ronaldo debate for our listeners to to shed more light on because we will not finish it, the discourse today. So moving on, I saw this one from Jola Popping. Said, Don Carlo is the managerial goat. No one is touching him. Mm-hmm. So who wants to take that? I mean, for me, actually, like, it's not, for me, it's not an entirely a shit take because if you are looking at it, Don Carlo is the um, only manager that has won the league in all Europe. In, all, in Europe's top five leagues so far, AC Milan, um, Bayern, Bayern Munich, um, Chelsea, Real Madrid, and PSG. So who wants to take this? Is it the is it the actual goat or is Pep the goat? Uzo, do you want to um, take it? Can I can I go? Oh, Uzo, do you want to take it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I won't lie. Yeah. Um. Um. Personally, yeah, Ancelotti has a case to be the goat manager because I think he has won three Champions Leagues. One with AC Milan and two with Madrid. Like you said, he has won um, um, a league title in all the top five leagues. So why doesn't he have a case? You understand? But I feel like in order to be the goods, obviously achievements matter, but obviously your dominance, you know, also matters as well. And then Pep Guardiola, tactically, I feel like he's a better manager than than Ancelotti. But in like in base of achievements, Ancelotti has you know a very strong case. And also Ancelotti has like managed some of the greatest players of all time. Like um, his AC Milan team, he has managed Ronaldo, he has managed the great Chelsea team, the PSG team, Cavani, Zlatan, and them guys. So why not? Why, why can't we say you know Ancelotti is a good manager? We can actually do a starting like two starting lineups of Ancelotti teams, and it will be a very very entertaining match. So yeah, um, Ancelotti has a very strong case to be the good manager. In my opinion, he doesn't, but I still think he's a is it decent take? Uzo, do you agree? Do you have any objection to that? Um, I think Ancelotti has a case, right? I think if we're doing a Mount Rushmore, which is the top four, right, of managers, I think Ancelotti is definitely firmly entrenched as one of the four greatest managers we've seen, right? Just off the top of my head, it'll, it'll probably be Sir Alex, Pep, Mourinho, and Ancelotti for me, at least in my lifetime. I know people can go back to you know, the errors of the, the courts or whatever. I don't know. I didn't really see some of these guys, you know, in their heyday. But I think as far as, like, the greatest manager of all time right now, to me, is not really close with Pep. So it's like he has an argument. He's in the discussion. But to say he's categorically the, the goal of managerial football, I don't think so. I think I think what Pep has done in, in terms of this sport and the amount of influence that he's had, He's just made it very, very, very undebatable. Thank you very much for that. So, moving on, I think I'm not going to let Uzo take this one first. I'm going to allow Ovo to take it. 
Totium are also title contenders. This is from DK Boy underscore. Totium are also title contenders. <laughs> oh, sorry for laughing, but this is a very funny take. But you know, it's but anything can happen. So over, what do you think? Um, I don't think it's. I don't think Tottenham can be title contenders because, um, you know, they've just been way too behind already. I think the injury to Madison has set them back a lot. And also, like, they had, there was a period where they went through, like, a lot of suspensions and a lot of injuries. And I feel like they'll go through that stage again. But um, I also think Andrew's a very, very good coach. And Madison was performing at an all-time level before he got injured. So they're a very good team. But at the same time, I don't think they're title contenders. But if Arsenal think they're title contenders and they're, like, what, three points ahead of Tottenham, then why can't Tottenham fans think they're title contenders? In my opinion, they're not. But I understand where this Tottenham fan is coming from. So, Uzo, let me hear your opinion from a Tottenham fan point of view. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a difference between contenders and challengers, right? And I've been telling Adams all season, I think Spurs are absolutely title challengers, but I don't think that we are contenders because I think um, the only teams that have the ability, the, the depth and the continuity to challenge or I mean to contend for the league at Arsenal, Liverpool and City because they've done it before in recent memory, right, with the team as presently constructed. So I think we are challengers in the sense that we can definitely stay in mathematically at least until April or, you know, maybe like late March. And I think that makes you a challenger at least like whether you're a dark horse or you have an outside chance. Um, of course, I agree with everything that Ovo said about our injury situation and the suspensions. I think that's exactly why depth comes into play, you know, in terms of your ability to sustain a challenge. Um, where, where Also, we have AFCON, you know, guys like Bisuma, Saar, the Asian Cup with Son gone. So I think we've been affected a lot by our squad quality because we don't have the depth to contend without some of our key players. So... I think, yeah, we are challengers, but I don't think we are contenders because I don't think we have a realistic chance of winning the league. But we absolutely have a chance to stay in the fight um, because we have shown so far that we are performing at the level that earns you enough points to at least be in the conversation league. So I don't think it's a rubbish take, but I just don't think we have the chance to win the league. So um, it, it's definitely a hot take. <laughs> Thank you very much. For me, eh? <laughs> I'd rather chew sand than see Tottenham win the title. Not under my watch. In my lifetime, it will never happen, man. Because why would Tottenham want to win the league? So I have this one from Majoral, Majoral 15. He said, having goal scoring midfielders in a team is better than those one touch scan for coronavirus bombs in the middle. <laughs> yeah, this is funny. I don't know what this person means, but it's so funny. Is this a shit take or a good take? Over oh, there, okay, take can this. Can I take this one? Can I take this, please, please, please? Yes. That that take is so funny, bro. I saw it and I was crying, man. Um, I understand what he, the guy is saying. For example, this is like a Pedri versus Bellingham debate, and honestly, like I think Bellingham is better to be honest because you know he he directly affects the scoreline of the game and obviously that's the point of football so in my opinion yeah i'd rather have like a goal scoring midfielder than you know the touch and scan for coronavirus midfielders so yeah this is a brilliant take and this guy is very funny so you have you take a missing mount over a 
Uh, who can I compare with? Oh. Okay. That levels to, you know, go scoring. <laughs> so, so please, let's calm down. Speaking of goal scoring midfielders, Uzo, do you think um, Bellingham is better than Pedri? Um, wow, that's a... I, I think, in my opinion, right, I think Pedri has... The higher ceiling, in my opinion, I think he has. He still has levels to go up. Um, he obviously has the more mature game, in my opinion, as well. But I think Bellingham's star power and his ability to impact and influence a game is unmatched. So I don't know. I think they are both very quality players. I think people, you know, because Bellingham scores a lot of goals, they forget that he's actually very solid technically. Um, he has incredible football intelligence. Like his brain is actually unmatched. And he actually does a lot of the dirty work as well. Like he, you'll go, you'll go into challenges, into fifty-fifties. He'll slide. He'll do all of the clean-up duty as well. So, because people forget, he came from championship. He's not some luxury baller that just has been in academy his whole life um, without you know tracking back and stuff. So he's actually a very well-rounded footballer. But I think Pedri's kind of like elegance on the ball for his role is definitely more impactful. But I, I don't know. I think. To me, Bellingham is the better talent, but I think Pedri's ceiling as a midfielder is much higher. I think Bellingham can just grow into a bigger star. That's my that's that's the way I'll, I'll put it. But to go to the goal scoring midfielder one, I'm not surprised that a Liverpool fan, you know, will prioritize goal scoring midfielders more than like actual midfield duties. And that's not even a diss because I think especially the way Klopp has constructed his team, right? They tend to bypass the midfield a lot. So even like a guy like Thiago, who is one of the best natural midfielders in in world football currently, I mean, his injuries aside, I just think that the way that he gets utilized in Liverpool won't be as effective as if he was in like a Barcelona or um, a Man City team where he would have more prominence on the ball because club style tends to bypass the midfield and create through the wings or create through their fullbacks. So I think it depends on the way you're constructing your team. If you If you have a team that is going to be more direct then of course you don't want midfielders that are going to be dressing the ball or slowing down the tempo. But if you have a team that is going for more control, right, then you want a midfielder that can regulate the, the midfield. I personally rate midfielders that are great on the ball and make good decisions over any kind of goal that you can give me. Because I think at the end of the day, the team is functioning the way it's supposed to. Then chances can fall to anybody and anybody can finish the chance. Right? Like I, th- I think guys like Perlo or Xavi didn't get they weren't known for their goal scoring prowess, but when they absolutely needed to finish, they were in the right positions and they could finish. But what they will give you is the consistency to control the game and at least give your team a chance to compete against anybody. So I just think it depends on the way you want to construct your team and the way the kind of style that you're going for. But to be calling them coronavirus scanning, that's that's so disrespectful. I'll just leave this ones for Barcelona fans and Real Madrid fans to fight it to fight it out because to be honest i think i don't know i don't have an opinion on that so uh, this one is from ayola bio four he said zabi alonso can't prosper in a big club his style of play is designed for a small team with average players hmm i mean i see what uh, alonso has been doing so far with leverkusen and i saw their last game um against um RB Leipzig, where they won 4-3, and it was, I was like, wow, 
Okay. And you know a lot of Chelsea fans will say, um, Alonso is the next one. Uh don't bully, pay up and don't speak. I seen I've seen Bayern fans say, Oh, he's going to coach Bayern next. I've seen Real Madrid fans say this is Ancelotti replacement, this, 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 that. Over to you now, what do you think about this take? Is it a shit take or a good take? I think this is a bad take because what um what when we are we are all supporting big clubs here. Yeah? And what we want from our team is dominance. And Bam mean and Bam Leverkusen dominate teams. So if you look at the stats here, Bam Bam Leverkusen, they rank first in terms of possession with 61% possession per game. And they also rank first in terms of touches and they're second in terms of their defensive high line. So obviously these are hallmarks of a of a team that is quote unquote a big team because they're dominating games aerially and positionally. So and the way they play with the four two three one, I think Frimpong is kind of like playing like a right winger. So let's call it a four two three one. They actually create overloads in order to you know beat teams, and that's what Man City did when they had Silva, Sane, and Sterling, and obviously Arsenal are doing right now. They put a, a lot of players high up the field to cramp up the field, and obviously have more players in different areas in the field where they can take advantage. That's a hallmark of a big team. But the only thing I'll say that Alonso might struggle with is, you know, egos and stuff like that. Like, you don't know if you'll be able to handle the ego in the Massey dressing room or the Real Madrid dressing room or the Bayern Munich dressing room. This, these are things that, you know, it comes with experience, you understand? And I don't think he has that experience. I feel like Gerard suffered from that. Lampard sometimes suffered from that, even though he was coaching kids for most of the time. So if he can, you know, build up a resume, learn more to how to be a manager, a man-manager, he can obviously be a very good manager, very successful manager at the top club because I think he's unbeaten and he might win the league. And that would be so funny because Harry Kane is like your cause, bro. So, yeah, um, I think it's a bad take. And Alonso is a great manager. And it's going to be so funny if Harry Kane does not win the league with Bayern this season. I mean, it will be a case of you cannot... Um, you cannot take the child out of the kinikon. I've already said that thing. I don't know, Shai. You, shall, you guys shall get me. So, uh, any thoughts on that? I, I think that um, people are disrespecting Bayer Leverkusen when they say that because Bayer Leverkusen are a big club. They're a historically big club, massive club. I grew up a, a huge fan of Michael Balak, so I've always been following Leverkusen. And I think it's very disrespectful to say that, it, like, him coming to the Premier League. There's there's not that many clubs in the Premier League besides the top maybe three or four that are bigger than Leverkusen historically, right? So to say like, oh, he won't succeed in a big club when he's already succeeding in a big club is a very stupid take. Um, also, I think a lot of the metrics that Ovo said, you know, like in terms of the his approach to the game, like, yeah, of course, tactically is going to translate. And we've seen someone like Mikel Ateta who didn't necessarily have the pedigree go to a big club and However, we want to describe Arsenal here. Definitely got them contending at the top of the table. So, of course, of course, like it remains to be seen if Xavi will be able to handle bigger egos, right? But I look at the team. There's a Granit Xhaka there, Florian Vert. These are players with star power. Frank Pong as well, like you mentioned, and he seems to be doing just fine. Um, I haven't heard any negative things coming out of their dressing room, so. Obviously, like he's he's got the players playing for him. You can't really compare with like a guy like Gerard who was in the Scottish league, you know, like with relatively unknown quantities, right? Who just bought into his philosophy, 
or even a guy like Lampard in Derby County or, you know, the Cobham kids at Chelsea. They, they didn't really, you can't compare the exact same scenario because he's coaching actual professionals in a league that that team is top two, top three in terms of um, the history of Bundesliga. So, yeah, I think it's a very rubbish take because he's already succeeding at a big club. Um, and that actually ties into one take that I saw. Um, I don't remember who it was by when he was saying that it's easier to manage um, young, hungry kids than big egos. And that one I definitely agree with because I think only a few managers with like personality can actually handle the responsibility of a dressing room where the players make a lot of money, they have their own brands, they have their own kind of personality and you still need to get them to play for each other and have team unity. I think that's where like management can be very, very, very difficult and only the really, really special ones, you know, no pun intended, <laughs> survive. So the last but not the least, I don't think this is a hot take. This is a very, very interesting one from my guy Tunde. Shout out to Tunde. So Tunde said, Tunde Young, he said, VAR as a piece of technology is 100% a great innovation. Whatever issues have risen from it has to do with the humans in charge of the technology, not the technology itself. Hmm. This is a very, very... I don't need to ask if it's a she-stake or a poor take because it's a very, very interesting take and I think it's a very, very good take. Over what, what do you yeah, think? We have, a Tottenham, we, have a, we have a Tottenham and we have a Liverpool fan and we all know what happened in our game, yeah. But VAR hasn't been the best, you know, technological revolution. I think it has been goal-like technology because it's binary. It's either a goal or it's not. With VAR there is a tendency to, you know, control the game. Like we saw Curtis Jones get a red card for something Gusto did a few months later. Like, let's all keep the same energy in making all these decisions. And I know VAR, yeah, if you look back at it, at some of the games in history, like Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid, how VAR might have influenced that game. Because Real Madrid just got away with murder, scored two offside goals, um, they gave Vidal a red card, blah, blah, blah. But it's not used right by the um, the referees because it gives them the chance to control how the game is done. Like, they're not keeping the same energy throughout the season. And for me, what's the point if, what's the point if you're not getting every decision 100% correct? Because goal of VAR is to eliminate all the errors. And it doesn't. So you might as well you know go back to normal to be honest but i don't want us to go back to normal i prefer vr to get better than eliminate it so it's not a bad take but at the same time i don't think vr has been good at all because it's just there's still a lot of errors you know by the referees and everything so yeah so uzo to you now i know that yeah, Tottenham has been one of the um teams that that vr has actually favored this season because i've seen some of your games that some goals should not have counted, but at least you have enjoyed small VR decision this season. So what do you think? Um, well, I, I definitely disagree that we're going to take from VR because we're still the only team with the fewest penalties allowed to us. And we've also considered the most penalties in terms of penalty differential. We've only got one penalty and I think we've considered three or four. Um, we've also got a whole bunch of red cards all from VR, um, which, you know, deserved, undeserved, who cares, right? Um, but we've had some red cards now go against us. I just think, I think they, all of us will, will, will all suffer from VR. I think that's the best thing, right, that I've seen on FT is it will still catch you, Abi. So I, I, it's funny, like, even from a Liverpool fan's perspective, um, 
if you look at the VAR table, right, for the teams that have benefited the most from VAR, Liverpool is actually at the top. And that doesn't mean that they are benefiting because it's unfair. It just means that a lot of incorrect decisions that would have gone against them have been corrected, which is a good thing, right? So objectively speaking, you want more decisions to be correct. Now, they can't get all of them correctly, right? But the irony of that Spurs game, right, that most people go back to to, to talk about VAR is that if there was no VAR, the goal still wouldn't have counted because it was the on-field official that raised this flag and he's the one that actually created the confusion. So at the end of the day, the reality is that VAR is not the problem. The problem is the inconsistency of refereeing. And until we can correct the consistency matter with our referees and the way that they interpret the game, then there's no point giving them an assistant who is also just as conflicted as them, right? So I think the issue is, for one, you need to get the rules more clear and two, we need to limit the influence of VAR within the game. I think a lot of refs now are scared to make calls. They are scared to make decisions on the field because they just feel like they can rely on VAR as a, as a crutch. But if we can empower the referees to make their decisions and only use VAR, in my opinion, for the absolute like most important decisions, like if it's a penalty or a red card, instead of looking for random handballs or you know, if the player is interfering with play, like, I don't want them to re-referee the game. I just want them to be able to aid the referees if the decision is actually very, very difficult. So, yeah, I think VAR as an advancement has been one of the best things, but I think it's just exposing that the sport itself, right, has a refereeing problem. Like, there needs to be more consistency in the way that referees apply the laws. So, yeah. Can Can I say something? Yeah, you can go. Um, we all watched the Nigeria game yesterday. Why was Osman's goal disallowed? Like, I don't know why, to be honest. I wasn't listening with commentary, so maybe I missed something. But why was think, that goal I think they said that handball interfered with play or something like that. Or was it it's handball? a case of handball against Osman. Really? Mm. Hmm. Well, I, well, I understand what, you know, Uzo said. And to be honest, he's right. Um... Is actually a problem with referees, but at the same time, I just feel like VR has been used very well during AFCON, but I just get irritated when it doesn't get all the decisions correctly because it's like, what's the point at the end of the day? With goal line technology, is it that a goal or it's not? But with VR, you know, it's like they're actually looking for a reason not to allow a goal or looking for a reason not to give a penalty, like Odegaard's handball. Like, the goal that Newcastle scored the other day against Arsenal. Like, stuff like that. I just feel like when they don't get these obvious decisions correctly, then it just ruins the, the viewer's experience, to be honest. There was a game, Man City versus them, Spurs, 20, 2019. VAR was used very, very well in that game when it cancelled them standings goal. But except from that, like, I don't think there's, like, any reason to, you know, keep persuading with VAR if they're not getting all the decisions correctly. But you know that, can I say something? You know that this VAR thing, eh, there's no, we don't really get to see so much controversial VAR decisions in the Champions League. It is always in the Premier League every single time. No, 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 I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I think that even ties to what I'm saying, right, is that is the referees that are inconsistent? Is the referees because even like despite the fact that VAR kind of assists them in making their decisions, right? Is their, inter- is their interpretation that is wrong? 
like the way that they interpret the game and the rules is what doesn't make sense. Like one referee, like it's called refereeing the occasion instead of the game, right? And I understand both sides because obviously in a derby match right now between Everton and Liverpool, you won't apply the same context for yellow cards as you would in a casual pickup game, maybe between Man City and Sheffield. Like the severity will be different because you know it's a higher intense match. And so I just think we need to find the right sweet spot between, you know, refereeing with context of the game that you're refereeing, right? And also refereeing within the rules itself. But honestly, there's no good answer because the sport, as much as we love the sport, there's always been bad decisions. Since I can remember, there's always been bad decisions. I remember Cardiff City got relegated because Aspilicueta scored a, the most blatant upside goal I've ever seen in my life in a meaningless game for Chelsea. That they didn't even really need to win because I think at the end of the season you guys finished what fifth or something. But Cardiff City ends up paying the price, but with relegation because they weren't able to get anything from that game. So just little things like that, and there was no VAR game, so it was just the referee missed it, and that's it. But things like that, at least VAR now gives us a chance to go back and look and prevent such really really obvious robberies from happening. But then you see a game like the Real Madrid game against Almeria now, and Vinicius gets away with a bitter handball and then it's like ah, what really is the point of this of this tool but I, I just think at the end of the day we just need the referees themselves to be better and we need the rules to be more clear to me i actually still feel like vr is not an issue in football right now it is the people in charge and how they handle vr so i'll just leave it to you guys the listeners to debate on that and if you have any um uh, any opposed ah if you have any cultural controversial or stake you can just tag me on twitter and we'll just speak about it so thank you guys for coming on my podcast today i mean it's been a pleasure thank you for honoring my invitation and guys that's a wrap for our football or take today we have reached our bus stop. Thank you for listening to this episode. And before I go, let me ask my um, guests to drop their Twitter handles so that you will drag them. It's not me, oh, it's not me. Oh, see my fanboys, all of you, you can go and drag them. Over, you can go first. Um, my handle is I am over underscore X. Um. I'll, I'll probably just mute the conversation because I know I'll be dragged a lot with <laughs> Messi and the Osman talk. Boy, it's okay. Thank you so much. Uzo, what about you? Yeah, um, on Twitter, um, at E-Z-C-L-U-E-S, S-Clues, um, that's my kind of football Twitter handle because um, I don't want to, you know, pollute my actual timeline with football takes all the time because people get annoyed. Um, on Instagram, I'm U-Z-E-A-U-X, so user, but spelled with the E-A-U-X. Um, you can always catch me on any of those platforms. I'm always willing to argue. I'll argue you to death. If you think you can argue more than me, I'll argue until you stop arguing. <laughs> so if you like, come and drag me. We'll, we'll be here typing paragraphs and talking long con. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And my own, you obviously know, my Twitter handle is Kupuburola, underscore, underscore, A, and my podcast page is S-I-W-R, underscore, same on Instagram. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.